place the Holy Spirit plays. Absolutely central to the life of the church. And there are many reasons that the Spirit comes upon the church. Many benefits he brings to the church. Many things he does in and for the church. It's fellowship, it's love, it's unity, it's worship and teaching and encouragement and endurance. But this passage makes it very specific as to what would happen, what the Spirit is given for. When the Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power, verse 8, and you will be my witnesses. Michael Green, talking about this passage, says this, The Spirit of God came upon Christian individuals in order to create in them the quality of life that would otherwise be beyond their powers. That's an encouragement right there. Totally beyond your powers, okay? Then also, the Spirit of God came upon the Christian community in order to unite them in the fellowship which could not be paralleled in any other group. So we become something we never could be individually. We become something corporately we could never have been, and no one else has it, okay? This this Spirit-filled life. But then he says, the prime purpose of the coming of the Spirit of God upon the disciples was to equip them for mission. The comforter comes not in order to allow men to be comfortable, but to make them missionaries. Now, this Spirit was the same Spirit that enabled Christ to fulfill his whole ministry. He was baptized. The Spirit came upon him. He, everything he did was dependent upon the Spirit, even casting out demons, as he said in Matthew 12, is dependent upon the power of the Spirit. Even his final death, as we read in Hebrews, was carried out by the power of the Spirit. So you see the Spirit all in to help and enable the Son to accomplish this salvation And now the Spirit is given by this same Christ, this same Spirit, that that accomplishment would be proclaimed throughout the earth. You see the connection in that. The Spirit enabled Christ to accomplish this for what end? That it might now be announced to the whole world. That we might be a part of that. And you can expect that when the Spirit comes upon His people, when He begins to control and and govern our lives, we will bear witness. It's the whole point that Acts is making, that Luke is making, that the, uh, Jesus is making here. When that power of the Spirit comes, you will be witnesses. Now, the Spirit then in Christ had come to stay. First in Christ and then through uh, his people in Acts. And we're going to look at the, uh, the Spirit first as the Spirit of witness, but then secondly, very important, the Spirit of whole life witness. So I want to make the case that unless we are bearing witness, it's very difficult to think that we are being governed by the Spirit, okay, as a people. And, but in the second part, I want to Make sure you understand what I mean by bearing witness, that it's whole life witness. Uh, Every part of our lives bears witness. But in the first place, we're going to talk about the fact that he is the spirit of witness. Now, there's no accident that the spirit 
was poured out, as we read in chapter 2, at Pentecost. Because at this particular time, all the Jews from all over the empire were gathered. So you, you have to think about the wisdom, the strategy of the Holy Spirit as he wants to launch this message. It could have come any time. could have come on the disciples at any point. But no, the Spirit picks this time. No greater opportunity could afford the Spirit than to gather all of these Jews together. And that was made possible, and this is no accident either, that he allowed the Romans to conquer the whole Mediterranean basin. Because at that point, they enjoyed what's called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. So that there was a road system as never before seen in the history of the world. Ability to move here and there in the Roman Empire. There was a uniformity of law, uniformity of language. Uh, there was safety from piracy that had never been known before. And there was a uh, flux. Because of their conquering, there was a flux in religion and an openness to religion that had hardly ever been before. As people were thrown here and there, <clears throat> scattered and open to new ideas and new religions. All of this timed with these people coming and 3,000 of them being converted that one day. Just think of the Spirit's strategy to make the gospel known at this point. He's the spirit of mission. Not just the spirit to say, yeah, I'm going to come down and people are going to speak in tongues and that's it. But the point of it, and there in chapter 2, verse 11, it says, they all said, all these people from all over the Roman Empire, recognizing that these are just regular people from Galilee, right? Just regular people from uh, <clears throat> the Jews were announcing, it says, the Mighty works of God in our own tongue. See, that's the spirit of mission. The spirit is announcing through these people in their own language the mighty works of God. Spirit of mission. Right from the beginning. And then a conversion. And it makes me wonder if Peter and the gang were looking at each other and one of them said, you remember that time on the boat? Remember all those fish? Remember what he said? He said, one day you'll be fishing for men. This is it, isn't it? You know, I don't know. It just, you just feel like they would have said something like that. They would have made the connection that you're going to be fishers of men. And here's, just, just like they did it, you know, gathered in this huge catch of fish they couldn't believe. They no doubt couldn't imagine 3,000 people in the first sermon. Spirit of mission. We read in chapter 4, verse 8, that, that Peter was confronted with the scribes and Pharisees. He'd been arrested, and it says, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter spoke to the rulers and scribes. And it's interesting in Mark, the only passage that speaks of the Holy Spirit as applied to Christians is in this kind of situation. Where he says, when you are before people and, and you've got to speak, he says, it is the Holy, it won't be you, but the Holy Spirit that will speak. See, the Holy Spirit is there. And the only time mentioned in Mark is in an evangelistic circumstance. He's there to witness, he's there to make known Christ to others. 
It says in chapter 4, verse 31, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak with boldness. It says in chapter 6 that they couldn't withstand the wisdom of the Spirit as Stephen was speaking to the Jews. And even Stephen later was stoned, and it says, filled with the Spirit, he looked into heaven and saw the Son of Man at the right hand of God. You see his involvement even in the martyrdom of one of his own as he's bearing witness and enabled to... to and, and many people think that may have been one of the things that caught Paul as he was sitting there holding the cloaks that he be stoned is to see his face as he saw the Lord Jesus. He said he saw the Son of God and then a few days later, Paul is struck with the vision of the Son. It's hard not to think that there was some kind of connection as the Spirit is revealing himself in this way. Later, we talked about this some in Sunday school. In chapter 8, Philip was told to go down to the road in the south from Jerusalem to Gaza. Kind of like me being told, go to I-10 between New Orleans and Mobile, right? <clears throat> and he goes down there, and he sees this Ethiopian who's a eunuch, works for Queen Candace of the uh, Ethiopians, and uh, a high official. And the Spirit says to him specifically, go over and join the chariot. Isn't that a wonderful statement? Spirit saying, Go over and join the chariot. And he gets there, and he's reading Isaiah, and he says, I don't know what he's talking about here. And then he proclaims Christ. He's baptized. And then scoops Philip up, and he's at L.A. after that. Well, it's the coast of Mediterranean, but anyway, it's Azotus and Caesarea. <clears throat> so at every point, you see, the Spirit is moving. The Spirit is directing this whole affair. He's the Spirit of mission. And then in chapter 10, Peter receives this vision of unclean animals being presented him, and uh, he's not sure what he's talking about because he's saying, eat of these unclean animals, and suddenly uh, these guys show up, and the Spirit says, hey, there are three guys looking for you. Go with them and don't hesitate. And so he goes with them. They're Gentiles, and he's sitting there in their house, and he says, basically, I shouldn't be here. <laughs> Me, a Jew, I'm not supposed to associate with you, not supposed to be in fellowship with you right now. This is against all of our rules. But I just found out I'm not to treat anybody as unclean. I'm not to treat anybody as unclean. He got the connection. You know, you eat unclean animals now, you, you, you can be with the Gentiles. And so as he's proclaiming the gospel to them, as he's proclaiming to them about Christ, to his shock, the Spirit's poured out on them, just like it was on them at Pentecost. He was just shocked. And I love the way he reports it in the next chapter to the officials. He says, and the Spirit was poured out on them just like for us. What was I supposed to do? How could I not baptize them? You know, it's just, Jesus did this. The Holy Spirit did this. I, I was just watching. I had to conform to it. And he's just told us, you don't have to be circumcised to get the Spirit. Pretty dramatic lesson, right? But that's the kind of lesson that had to take place. Don't you see? It's the Spirit that is operating here. It's the Spirit that's moving them out of their Jewish corner into the Gentiles. Because the Spirit is going to bear witness, and he's going to enable his people to bear witness. That's what the Spirit does. 
And then later in Acts chapter 16, the church in Antioch is praying or worshiping and fasting. And the Spirit says, set apart from me Barnabas and Paul for the work that I have for them. They weren't sitting around necessarily thinking about going to the Gentiles or what they're... It's the Spirit. It says, I've got to work for them. We've got to keep moving here. We've got to keep going out to the Gentiles. It's the Spirit that carves them out and sends them forth. Uh, as, it, as it says in verse 4, they were, they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They were sent out by the church, of course. He's saying this is the real sending. This is the one who's really doing this. The Spirit is sending them out. And so uh, it continues throughout as later in uh, chapter 16, they are headed for Asia, and the Spirit says, no, don't go to Asia. Then they start turning north to Bithynia, and the Spirit says, no, not Bithynia. So they go to the coast, and a man from Macedonia appears in a vision and says, come over here. And that's why we have Philippians, right? That's why the Philippian jailer. That's why Lydia. That's why the Thessalonians and those letters. Because the Spirit had a specific work that he wanted them to do, and he sent them and governed everything that was happening and so it's interesting when you get to the end of Acts, uh, right toward the end in chapter 19, Paul says, I must see Rome as well. And then chapter 23, uh, the Lord says to him, as you've testified of me in Jerusalem, you're going to testify to me in Rome. And you get to the very last chapter, they get to Rome. So you see what Luke's done it's to say, we started in Jerusalem, we ended in Rome. Started in Jerusalem, ended in the capital city of the empire. To the uttermost parts of the earth, of the known civilized world as they knew it at that point. He's, he's showing us this was what the Spirit did. Now, here's the point for us. We talk about walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. All of this, every aspect of the Spirit's work in our life is and must be connected to witness because he comes upon the church so that we might empower, bear witness to Jesus Christ. We can't ever think of our little life in the Spirit as anything but part of the witness to God. Now, I'm going to talk about how it's a part of all your life. It's not, not narrowly seen here. And I think of Stephen's sermon to the Jews, and he, he said to them, you are stiff-necked. You've always resisted the Holy Spirit. And then he was stoned. But you don't have to just stone preachers or stone a deacon as, it was, as he was at the time. To resist the Holy Spirit. You can just say, I'm not going to be a part of his witness. I don't like the cost of it. I don't like the reputation of it. I don't like the sacrifice of it. I don't like the sacrifice of my goods, my money, to help that cause. I don't want to be a part of bearing witness to Jesus Christ. I would urge you that that would be a resisting 
of the Holy Spirit. A flat resisting of the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit comes to his people, he enables us to bear witness. In John 15, when Jesus is talking about the comforter coming, and that, that kind of has this image of, yes, comforter. You know, I'm all comfortable. I'm all on my own, safe and having quiet times with Jesus and nobody bother me. You know, that kind of thing. But he says, he will bear witness and you will bear witness. Now, that's first said to the apostles, of course. But doesn't exclude the church. They are the leaders. They are the foundation of what the church is called to. That the Spirit, he will bear witness. And as he comes upon you, you will bear witness. You will, along with the Spirit. And brothers and sisters, I know that there is continuing. And I'm like you. I I love everybody in one room, you know. Isn't this great? We're all in one place. And there's a a lot about us that dreads when a group of us is going to be gone and meeting at another place. They had a glorious worship this past Sunday. We've heard about it. We're so thankful. And it's difficult. But we believe that the Holy Spirit is calling us to do this. We do. That means we're infallible. You know, we could be wrong. But what what we know about church growth, what we know about people coming to know Christ, it's done primarily throughout 2,000 years through church planting. It's, it's, this is, when, when you plant churches, they're the churches that gather the most unbelievers in. And churches that plant churches become more oriented to gathering unbelievers in. This hurts. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be easy. But I, I hope that everyone will be focused on this. The, the Spirit has come upon us to bear witness. To bear witness to Jesus Christ. We have no option, no matter what the cost. And, of course, I remind you all that our cost, it's like what happened to Kate and me this past week, uh, a week ago. I spoke at RUF training in Atlanta. So we go over on, we were were planning to do Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and kind of have a little time in Atlanta. So as it turned out, we got there late. Our plane was delayed. We got there late on Thursday night. Hotel didn't have a place for us. So we had to find a, go to the other hotel. The GPS wasn't working right. Couldn't find the hotel. Finally got in, you know, somewhere 12.30, 1, whatever it was. And uh, then, as it turned out, because of uh, Kelly's uh, dad's death, uh, we parted ways on Friday and. She came back to Fort Worth, and I went on to Richmond. All right, here's the point. We're talking about this. That would be so easy in some circles of America be this horror story. You wouldn't believe what happened. Our plane was delayed. We got in, and we didn't even have a room. We had to go to this other place, and we couldn't find it at first. And we were just exhausted. I just ruined everything. You know, just like... Okay, were your children imprisoned? You know, were your fingernails pulled back? You know, did, I mean, what, what was it? What was your suffering? Oh, you had to go to another nice, clean hotel and spend the night and sleep late. Oh, that's horrible, gosh. What people go through in this world, you know? 
And so I, I don't want to make fun of the real suffering and heartache that we feel in this separation. But at the same time, we're not being, we may be in the future, who knows, but it's not as though this group is going to prison, you know. It's, it's not as though somebody's being killed for the faith. It's, we, we can't even begin to talk about this being suffering, can we? And we still remain two vibrant churches by God's grace doing hopefully the great work of Jesus in two places. So I, I, I'm, not, I'm not making light because it hurts me. It hurts me. It hurts me to lose my brother and sister and their family. I don't, not losing them, but not to see them every Sunday. That's what we're talking about, right? It hurts me. Every single family that goes, there's a part of me that says, don't go, you know, which is not the point, is it? <laughs> well, I hope they don't go. What? You know, <laughs> that kind of, but that's the way you feel emotionally. Okay, well, enough said, but that's what we're doing. We're trying to bear witness to Jesus. Having said that, let me underscore the fact that this is to, to see this as the spirit of holistic witness or the spirit of whole life witness. When you read the, uh, when you read the epistles, it, they don't, they're not telling us over and over and over again. You don't have questions like this. How many people have you witnessed to today? You know, are you sharing Christ? If you're not sharing Christ, you're not. So, I mean, all these guys. Paul could have just talked about that insistently, right? Could have every chapter. And by the way, be sure you're sharing Christ with people. Talk to every. Have you talked to your neighbors? Are your are your are your people sharing with the Christ with their neighbors, etc.? Isn't it isn't it wild that that's never ever brought up ever? But what is brought up constantly, and we, I, I don't have time for this, but you could even talk about Paul's work, which was specifically church planting, uh, and that's what he was doing is what we're doing with Trinity. He was trying to do all over the Mediterranean basin. But even then, he spoke where he was supposed to speak, like in a synagogue or even in Athens. He was in the marketplace where people did this, and then they brought him to the Areopagus so that he could speak more broadly. Uh, it's kind of funny. The only time he was just in a mob speaking was when he healed this guy in Lystra, and uh, they start calling him and Barnabas Zeus and Hermes, and then as they're, about, they're bowing down to worship him, then Jews show up from other cities where he's been persecuted, and they persuade the crowd the other way. They stone Paul, drag him out of the city, and leave him for dead. And Paul's like, note to self, do not heal a man in public. You know? <laughs> You'll first think you're a god, and then they'll stone you. <laughs> okay, so, um, but Paul was so about following the norms of culture in every way that he, he could. And the emphasis in the letters of Paul is not knocking on doors, but it is constantly do good to all around you. Constant emphasis. Galatians 6, do good to all men, especially those of the church. Or Titus 3, 
be ready for every good work in the context of this world. Be gentle, perfect courtesy to every person. Colossians 4, show wisdom with outsiders. Let your speech be gracious and seasoned with salt, knowing how to answer them. Live honorably so that they will glorify God. Jesus says, let your light so shine that they will see your good works and glorify God. And when it envisions a conversation, this is how Peter envisions it. When someone asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, do so. Be ready to do that. But do it with gentleness. Do it with uh, careful uh, respect. And in the context of this, he says, do good four times and live righteously two times. He says, live in uh, Seek peace and pursue it, he says in that passage. It just drips with doing good. In the context text of doing good and living peaceably and doing righteousness, when someone asks you what makes you tick, be ready to say it. And do it with gentleness. Do it with kindness. Do it with grace. Romans 15 says, Romans 12, 15, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with every person. That's the call, okay? And it even gets to this point with 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, live quietly, tend to your own affairs, and work with your hand and do your work faithfully, right? In Timothy 2, he prays that to, he says, pray to the kings that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life. The point is, don't look for trouble. Don't stir it up unnecessarily. Don't draw attention to yourself in a bad way. Don't be culturally insensitive. Don't stick out like a sore thumb. Stick out like a healthy thumb, right? Uh, If you're faithful and you're godly and you're righteous and you're living within the normal course of your society and loving people, trouble will find you, okay? It will find you, but you're not to make it, right? That's the emphasis uh, in the New Testament. And also, as, as you think about your part in bringing people to Christ, you're part of a whole body, you're part of a whole church. Though there are key people in most people's conversions, it's usually the fact that God uses many people in that person's life, and often the church as a whole. You play a part in your kindness and hospitality, in your servanthood, being a listening ear, becoming a true friend, uh, befriending someone through world relief who's from another country, getting involved in uh, Good News Club, many different ways to live out your life in Christ to just neighbors or friends or business associates or, or somebody in school or whatever. You may have gotten them into a, invite them to a fellowship or a party or a picnic or VBS or a Bible study or men's and women's retreat or whatever. You may, they may come to a seminar and eventually they're folded into the life. There's many, many ways, you see, of starting the process and being involved in the process. What Scripture points out is the first thing is that you love people. That's why he even says to, to uh, slaves, even slaves, he said, adorn the doctrine of God. Adorn the doctrine... There's this glorious app, uh, peach cobbler, okay? It's the sweet gospel. You're its aroma, right? You're the sweet aroma of this sweet gospel that draws people to it, that begin to make them wonder what's going on. 
And so Jesus can say, love one another as I have loved you. If you have that love, then they'll know you're my disciples. Okay? So to have community is a vital aspect of the Spirit's witness. For us to be focused on community and developing community and our fellowship and our intimacy with one another, that's the Spirit's work, but it does have a reference to witness, you see. It's not that we're just going to go around and that's all we do is speak to people about Jesus. We've got to be a holistic uh, community that lives in love, that has unity so that, as uh, Jesus prays in John 17, that they may know that the Son has been sent by the Father. And that's why the Spirit is so grieved when we are not obedient to Him. It says, as in the context of loving one another in Ephesians 4, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Because he is involved creating this fellowship of love, and he knows what it will do in manifesting the glory of Jesus in this world. So every aspect of our lives, the full richness of our lives, our love, our hope, our endurance, our self-sacrifice, our selflessness, our generosity, our boldness, our creativity, our wisdom, the direction, even the work we do every day is essential for witness. It's not a, something added on. It's essential for our witness in this world. Our own culture making and our own enjoyment of culture is a vital aspect of our witness in this world. So it's a full-orbed life that we're offering people in which God is vital to everything we do. You see, we're calling them to a whole life, right? Not just saying, we're going to witness, and then we call, call you, and that's what you're going to do for now. You're just going to witness. That's all we're going to do. We're just going to witness, you know. No, we're a whole life that's lived in hope in the presence and favor of God. We are setting forth the anticipation of the new heavens and the new earth. We're the taste of the kingdom. So you see, the Spirit enabling us to bear witness has every aspect of our lives involved in it. Okay, Every part of our lives. But here's the thing I want to make sure you understand. That you always, in all the richness of your life before God, are constantly praying and thinking of it in terms of, Bearing witness, bearing witness, bearing witness. To exult in that, to take relief and comfort that God would use you and me, of all people, us sinners, to make known the glory of God to this world. And so this power for a full-orbed life is part of the Spirit coming upon us and giving us power to bear witness uh, to Him. Um, This is our glorious uh, expectation that each of us should have. And while it can be convicting on the one hand, I want it to be a challenge and a new aspect of your prayer to say, Lord, I give myself up to you. I give myself up to you and everything I do in my whole life lived in your presence that you might use me, that you might use these churches and any other churches that we plant and people we send into this world to make known your glory because it is the spirit of witness that has made you his temple. Let us pray.
Lord, we praise your great name that we are the very temple of God. And even as the Spirit, uh, as, as when God indwelt the tabernacle and the temple, a glory came from it that drove the priest out. Uh, That's where your glory was manifested. And, oh Lord, we trust that now we are that touch point of the glory of God on earth. We are the aroma as we live and as we speak the truth, as we speak graciously. We become the aroma of the gospel in this world. We become, as Jesus himself says, the light of the world. It's that light which so shines so that people will glorify God. We're the the shining forth of the glory of God in our very character, in the very way we care for people, in the very way we love each other. And so the Spirit has empowered us to bear witness in every aspect of our lives. Oh, Lord, bless us that we will never, ever separate our living in the Spirit from bearing witness. And we will see that every aspect of our life having its rich meaning in your presence and your favor as well. And because of that, becomes a witness to the world of a life that they can have in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, bless us, we pray for your namesake. Amen.